0: the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey.
1: All right, welcome to the Rewind Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to discuss the importance of ClassPass and its use. Joining us is Christine Ng, who's the VP of Brands at Rainforest, which is an e-commerce aggregator that is focused on creating new customer brands on Amazon and beyond. All right. Today, Christine and I are going to assess taking ClassPass to 15 new markets. And uh, Christine and I were just talking to join us from Singapore. I freaking love podcasting. Just do crazy shit. All right. Walk us through, first of all, kind of your job at the company and and walk us through kind of the importance of ClassPass. Like, tell us about what ClassPass is.
2: Yeah, so when I worked at ClassPass, this is a, I've been circa about 2018, we we're doing international expansion. And ClassPass, if anyone doesn't really know what it is, it's a subscription service that people can use, specifically for trying out different gyms. We've also expanded to different wellness classes and also to different services under the umbrella. So I promoted music festivals on there. There was one big one in one called Wonderfruit in Bangkok, sorry Pattaya in Thailand. And there was also a couple of different festivals we were doing originally in Asia. And then we took that beyond to the U.S. as well, after the U.S. team saw what we had been doing in Asia and also in Europe. So, yeah. So essentially, you can call it a subscription service for anything in your life, anything that you can think of from festivals to wellness to gyms. But that's how we started out in, you know, in
1: the early days. Yeah, I'm clear a gym junkie, like, you know, I'll go to like a CrossFit gym in like a new market and I'll use ClassPass or even my existing CrossFit gym, like they use ClassPass. So I'm, I'm familiar as, as a user just being a gym junkie, but to see the expansion in so many other verticals, that's really cool. That that makes a ton of sense, obviously.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we decided that, you know, if we wanted one place where we want to kind of book classes to kind of experience different life events, I mean, that was kind of like a one-stop shop for it. So it was just kind of a really fun natural expansion for us, especially since we were already talking to so many different partners and all of us were like, okay, they're giving us lots of different ideas. So why don't we try these out in different countries and see how they go?
1: That's awesome. Okay. So I always battle as an agency strategist with brand marketers and you being on the brand marketing side, I'd love your take here. There's always the debate. Do you get into additional like service offering extensions first? Or do you get into new markets first? Is that something you guys discussed or is, like how would you? Yeah. You got tackling that? or Can you do both? Or I, I always worry about too many products too early, but I, I'd be curious.
2: Yeah. I, I think new when you enter a new market, it's really important to establish a baseline on products. So if your product offering was X in the US, I think it's really important to be okay. What are the brand tenants? What are the things that we want to convey in terms of values and product? So I don't usually think about new services until I'm very sure that the current audience or the new audience we're going to actually adopt, understand the current product value of what our services do. So obviously, when we kind of entered all the markets that we did across a year, which is kind of crazy, we really kind of tried to figure out kind of what the brand proposition and kind of what services we're going to offer. So when I looked at ClassPass US, I was like, okay, I mean, I understood this as a consumer in the US. I think when Pyle kind of founded the company, she really thought about kind of like you know replacements for you know regular routines. She was looking for a dance class. She needed something to fill her time, or there were gaps also in like you know a lot of gyms' schedules. So to introduce them to new customers, the whole point of class pass at the time was to kind of help them offboard like excess inventory and kind of introduce them introduce them to new customers. And I felt the value proposition was going to be different in the rest of the world. So I did a lot of analysis, looked at kind of kind of all the different gym patterns, activity patterns across different markets. And we started in Asia because we saw a couple incumbent competitive people already kind of, you know, doing all the work in the market. But we realized we built a better product proposition, whether it was a better tool set, whether it was like understanding how users would use subscription. So, you know, I really kind of dug deeper into brand values. Like what are the main points of doing this, right? You know, America is really big. There are a lot of gyms, a lot of inventory, but we don't have that kind of style of doing things in Asia. So for example, take Singapore, you know, there were a lot of emerging gyms, there are a lot of great studios kind of coming up, but the most important reason why people were really into gyms were they really enjoyed kind of being part of a community they love dragging their friends, which is a very different thing from the U.S. where it's very individualistic. You kind of go in, you do your thing, you go out and maybe you like meet up your friends for brunch. But, you know, the behaviors are very different. So taking that into consideration, I was like, OK, how are we going to present this product? Right. Like you talked about being a gym junkie and we still have kind of people who are like, oh, OK, you know, I kind of want a routine but I don't really want to like be a junkie. So I actually built up names of different subscription plans. So I like newbie, I junkie, I have like, you know, gym obsessed and just to help people understand, you know, what are the different price points? What are different credit systems to help them be able to understand kind of which products they would actually
1: need
2: in terms of a plan.
1: Okay. So I'm hearing a couple of things. Number one, I think I heard is what I think I heard is own what you're best at in your marketplace first. And the second thing that was actually really interesting to me is, don't think that what you own in the United States, as an example, is going to work in another country. There may be a different reason to believe in the brand, and maybe different functionality of the brand, country by country, or you know, the West versus the East. In, in this point, that, those are kind of the two major points. I think. I think are that.
2: Yeah, I think those are the two major points. I think um, when we think about internationalization, I think a lot of times in the U.S. I think it's really easy to take for granted what our values are. Like, it's very clear kind of product proposition. But then we realize when you go into a different market, like, people could be doing different things. Like, in Germany, for instance, like, we realize people like being in the outdoors. It's cold most of the time, like, in a lot of different seasons. And people are going outdoors. We're like, okay, it's not going to work. It's like people go to the gym all the time. They're not gym rats. So we thought of it more of a supplementary and complementary thing to activities. So for an ad, for example, an ad campaign, like, I actually filmed a lot of, um, you know, people in Munich kind of doing their thing in Munich. So localization is really important to me, but you don't want to do it artificially, right? So I had, you know, very kind of people who lived there. I asked them how their routines were. So they're like, oh, I like to surf on the river. So I filmed him surfing. And after that doing a yoga class, I kind of decompress. So I think those are really things that I really kind of talked to locals to be like, okay, what do you really do on a day-to-day basis, Right. Unlike, you know, New York, I would just do SLT and go to brunch, right? And that's very normal. But, you know, I wouldn't be going and surfing on a river in Munich. But those are things that you're really digging into and thinking about routines in different markets. So, yeah, that's that's one example, I guess.
1: There a common brand thread throughout. Is it that you're helping solve excess inventory and trial? Is there certain brand pillars that go throughout or is it?
2: I think there are definitely pillars. I think... I actually feel like I kind of inverted those pillars, right? I think trial for me. So when I came in, I fundamentally believe in brand. Like I believe the brand needs to come first before anything, before you decide to kind of paint on all the other channels, right? Paid or whatever. And I think a lot of companies tend to be like, okay, I'm just going to do paid search first and then I'll figure out what the content later. And I think doing trial kind of does that. I do agree that we do need trial, but I think so. One of the really funny things that came in, so I came in to Singapore just as they started trial. And they were super generous and did something like 200 credits. Now, when we did kind of the math afterwards, like it's impossible to use 200 credits. Like basically credits and people don't know what it is. They're basically kind of what we assign like ClassPass users. And most classes, depending on where you are, they are about 10 credits to 19 credits. And 19 credits, we're talking like a peak period. It's like your top classes, your top gyms. We make it really difficult for you to get them. Like, no offense to like the user. sorry, but it's just popular, right? So we make them expensive. So you know, you're basically a diehard if you really want to go to this gym. So to use 200, I mean, it will take a while to burn up. So when we did that, we realized like people became like very obsessive. They were like trading. It became like a trading system in Asia. It was really funny. So that we actually had a telegram where people were just trading credits, pretending to be each other. So they could get on. And I was like, okay, this has become like its own life form, its own currency. Yeah, it's like gaming. So we kind of loved it because it was so organic. It didn't exist in the US. But then we also were like, okay, we need to figure out how to make this like a community, but not like where people are like kind of abusing the child. So that that also had a campaign that was born out of it where I was like, I actually made kind of a lot of different animations on kind of like what credits mean, uh, how important they are. You know, I had like literally a hand that was like, okay, here are coins and credits, coins and credits, what are credits, you know? And just because like back then, like crypto was coming up and people understood like currency and what that meant. So like I kind of built like stories about like having our own kind of currency and how we speak to one another. So that's kind of became a campaign on its own as well.
1: Okay. So you're, I mean, you're launching 15 freaking different international markets. Like how the hell did you do that? I mean, I'm... I've had friends at Uber, and they told me kind of their market by market launch, and you know, then I watched Super Pumped, and I definitely believe in kind of market by market approach, especially with platforms. So, how the hell did you launch these (laughs) fifteen markets? This is insane.
2: Yeah, it was it was it was definitely insane. I think I really enjoyed that Fritz and Pyle and team, like the executive team, were really aggressive. I think that. Honestly, I won't throw shit at any companies I work for. I mean, I really love the way ShopUp did it. or Away did it in a way that was kind of more formalized. You know, we made a whole map and we're like, okay, let's go to English-speaking countries first. But, you know, Fritz was like, all right, we're just going to go in. So when I came into the market already, there were like salespeople from the U.S. We had dropped them in from like many different like places and we had parked them all over Asia. And it was just so amazing to be around sales teams that were like, I don't speak the language. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm going to like get translators and people to kind of just go in there and like do it, you know? So, I mean, there were definitely some cultural barriers we, like that we had to understand. And I, I did... Go in and drop into different markets, you know. But we had a, you know, quite a specific formula. We identified the top studios. These were people living in kind of like rental apartments. Sales teams. I mean, my the teams were from everywhere. Like, because we have offices in Montana, people never travel in their lives. You know, like they're like, okay, I'm mean, that's this foreign country and I have no freaking clue. Good
1: sales people from Montana like drop into Asia. Like, where were they dropping into Asia? Like,
2: they were just like in KL. Wow. They were in Bangkok, they were in Dubai, like, you know,
1: China, they were, that's insane.
2: Yeah. And they were just told to find the top 20. They would cold call people. They would show up at studios. It's really incredible. I've never met such a great that's bunch so of people cool. who were like willing to do anything. It's it like,
1: just like a, like, yeah. like almost just like such a team camaraderie. Like, let's do this, like tech platform, yeah. like probably way different than your days when you were at eBay, like in marketing.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, eBay internationalization was easy because we actually hired a lot of people and then we consolidated in Switzerland already. But it's all digital, right? Like, same thing with ShopOp. We really operate on a cross-border kind of methodology. So it's very different from like going in and in a way it was just very like, okay, let's open retail stores. So all the internationalization strategies were really different. But Fritz was just like, you know what? We have a limited amount of time. We have raised all this money. Let's go. And we went from like two people in Asia to like, I think we acquired someone. So we went from two to 30 people in like a span of like three months.
1: Could you help me understand the growth cycle of the company, like where you were when you started, maybe growth in the U.S. and then now versus growth in, you know, overseas and Asia and all.
2: Yeah. So I think the growth happened kind of like, I think when we, I think they raised in sort of like March, April, and then they hired a woman named Chloe Ross who became my boss. At ClassPass, and at the time I had just left away, and I was like, "Okay, what am I going to do next?" And there were two companies that were expanding in Asia. One was Jewel, so I'm like, "Okay," and one was ClassPass. So I'm like, it could not be more polar opposite. One's like, "Oh, great, let's smoke and the other is like, "Let's help people get fit and happy and healthy." <laughs> I reached out to both, though. I'm like, "All right, you know, like."
1: a keep rifling questions, like, <laughs> were there other competitors?
2: So yeah, we had an incumbent in Asia called Guava Pass. And I think Fritz was like, you know what? We need to go out there. And I think a lot of companies don't realize this. Yeah, it's cool that you're an incumbent in the US and everyone knows who you are, but you need to pay attention to your competitors in other markets. So you either buy them out or you crush them. So I think Fritz made that really clear, like this is what we had to do. So I already had spoken to the team in the US and I was already packing my stuff in New York and it just happened like, okay, I was like in the middle of my box. I was like, I am right now. And I was like, okay, this team's like ready to go. They've already got some people on the ground. I'm like, I'm going to go join them in Singapore. So that's kind of what happened.
1: I remember Uber was making the big decision to go into China. And yeah, if you remember the movie, my buddy talked about this too, because he, he helped open And there were people like, don't go into China. And there was already a competitor into China at the time. Like a US company going into China, like, is that is that scary? Were there a lot of conversations?
2: yeah. So we did not go into China. Oh, we, we did go to China because we actually bought guava pass, which had a small presence in Shanghai. Okay, so
1: you bought guava pass. But
2: going into China, so going into China is a totally different beast. Like I think even with the way when I was doing analysis, just looking at research, right? Like I definitely was bullish on China. Because you're looking at consumer patterns, right? Like, so what I like to do is like I like to kind of map out all the values. Like I mean like actual personal values. Like, are we individualistic? Is this a low power distance, high power distance community? Are people driven by, you know, shared values? Are people driven by celebrity culture? So I kind of like to map that out. And I think that was an interesting exercise because I think people generally take for granted. Oh, we all speak English. We're all kind of the same, right? But we're not. British people are very different. They don't like to be sold hardcore. They're also a little bit down the funnel of like wellness and mental health. So I kind of looked at those angles. I also obviously looked at Nike and different places that kind of like sold different things. So for China, fortunately, like they're very aware of American brands. They're also quite, like, consumers. Like, I like to compare, I like to give this anecdote because the way, for example, you know. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we have a pink suitcase now. That's so cool, right? And in China, they would do that. We're like, Oh, it's pink. Oh, it's new. It's an accessory. I'll buy it, right? So they have that kind of similar mentality. But you go to Germany, they're like, uh, what do the wheels do? What are the specifications? Will it fit in, like, the Lufthansa A-blah-blah-377? You know, like, they really care about details. And so do the Japanese, so it's like really kind of looking at all these different angles on how to sell. So for a way, I was really bullish on China because they were very keen on retail strategy. Chinese consumers already understood who they were. And they kind of offered this really fun kind of alternative like brand to what they really had. Because, I mean, Samsonite, me, all the very traditional players had already entered the market. Ramoa had entered the market. So uh, the Chinese consumer was very curious. And I think for that market, yes. I think for Uber to enter China, I think this is aggressive. And I love their style. So I think we adopted a lot of that. Um, the Uber launcher is a model that we all kind of admire. I also just spoke to a couple of friends who did Deliveroo and Uber. Just very aggressive. I think it does work because mm-hmm. you really have boots on the ground. These are people just like myself, you know, at up, we were just going on the ground, going stealth mode, talking to different people. I would post on Facebook like, hey, I'm coming to China. Do you think that I should talk to anyone? Or I would get introductions or stalk people on like LinkedIn and I think that really works really well to kind of establish kind of what to enter and what to do. And in the, eventually it kind of worked out, right? They seeded like DD to, to Uber, uh, sorry, Uber seeded their business to DD. But, you know, you never know how it's going to go. But I think it's always good to take big bets if you've got people and signals on the ground.
1: I hear that theme a lot on this podcast is doing the research and yeah. taking big bets. But I, I've learned a ton of what you said. And I want to make sure our audience heard that again, because um, I love what you said about values. And when you first said brand values, like I think about, oh, our brand value is this, this and this. But what, what you're talking about is, is consumer trends of brand values market by market and how they differ. And like when I think of consumer strategy, I, I get in this kind of maybe American consumer strategy mindset of like, what are human truths and what are trends and what are media trends? And I, I you know, what's qualitative, quantitative? And you're, and you're really breaking down. Values by country and where do you need to play as a brand and how do you need to serve that country and those consumers based on the values that are important to those people in that country? I think that's fascinating. I think that is so, man, if you were launching a brand in another country or even in other states, state by state in the US, like. Yeah, totally. I think your process of consumer research and really breaking them down by values is I have not, I don't know why I haven't heard it talked about in that way, but it's genius. And I want to make sure people heard that because I'm definitely going to be stealing that. I think I love that.
2: Yeah, actually you're right. I don't think it was some, it was just something that came out organically for me being kind of like a pseudo launcher at shopop because I just realized, you know, like it's so funny to kind of sit in another country. Like you think like, you know, you look at kind of like fashion ads, right. They've always, if they're in Paris, they've got like a giant Eiffel tower, someone's holding a baguette. I don't know. There are all these references, but you realize that those ads, like Emily in Paris, for example, right? Those are made for American audiences. They're made for people who are not French. So when you enter a market, you need to be like, okay, what is French? What signals being French? How do you enter a market where you decide either you're a foreign entity, like, okay, you can come in as an American company with American values, or you can come in as a local entity with actual French people's Working there, people were really kind of boarding and building that community in there. So, one of the campaigns that I built was kind of like the heart of every city. And I kind of just built this idea around, you know, I think back in the day, European cities are built all around uh, like a kind of a city square or center. And I was like, what's the center? This is the center community, like, you know, the town hall, the town choir sits in the middle of the square and everyone gathers. Or uh, Even if you want to like hang people, it's generally in the town square, right? So, like, okay, that's really gruesome. But like, in general, like, you know, you have a place to gather. And I thought of, kind of class for us is that and what are kind of the hooks that people need to kind of feel like part of the community. And that's kind of how I started building those values. And it was also really important because we had so many people from so many different cultures being plopped into like different markets, different countries. I mean, I was meeting so many of our teams and like, I would like actually like jump different markets. I'd be in Amsterdam, in Berlin, in Bangkok, in Dubai, just meeting so many different people. And they were not understanding each other either. They're like, I don't get it. Why is she so weird? Why is this? So why is this happening? Why can't I, you know, and for me too, like I grew up in Asia, but I also went to the US when I was 16. So I kind of was this conduit for like people. So it was a kind of really fun to kind of build it both as a brand and both like I kind of as an internal kind of guidebook to how do you handle someone in Bangkok or how do you deal with someone in the Middle East, you know?
1: Well, what a fun job too. And just the human insights that you have from so many different cultures. Man, to, to recap some of this, we're, we're long because I'm just fascinated by conversation. I think this will really help any brand market out there launching a brand and they should reach out to you as if you're going into any other country because I love this stuff. But I am going to cliffhanger because we have a lot more to talk about tomorrow. Um, so we're going to wrap up this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. Big thanks to Christine VP of brands rainforest for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Christine and I are going to discuss Amazon's hooped like a champion brand, just so many insights to brand launches and markets. I mean, you're talking about fifteen market launch for a fast growing tech platform. Like ClassPass. I mean, thank you for that. We're going to get into a bunch more tomorrow. I want to talk about Amazon, get more of your brand insights as a VP of brand marketing. If you can't wait till our next episode, you want to learn more about Christine, you'll find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes and her company website, www.rainforestlife.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you haven't had a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, go to the rebrandpod.com. We'll have summaries of all our episodes and guest contact information. You can subscribe to our newsletter or if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at rebrandpod.com and then rebrand at rebrandpod on all the social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, blah, 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 blah. My uh, Twitter profile is SharkyAZ. Feel free to reach out to me you you find me on Instagram or LinkedIn, Scott Herkey. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing campaign brilliance, just head that podcast feed and uh, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button on your podcast app and we'll be right back in your feed the next business day. I know for me, uh, I get mine when I'm at the gym. I'm like, all right, here we go. We got another one live and that's it for today. But just remember, it's never too late to rebuild reboot or rebrand.